0: Four things we're going to cover this morning as we continue to try to answer this question, what is God like? And, and here's the first the first thing I want you to see this morning is that our God is perfect. Our God is is perfect. Matthew five forty eight. Jesus is is challenging his his listeners in the sermon on the mount. he he's challenging them to to live by a different standard remember he's raising the bar we just finished the sermon on the mount not not long ago and and he says to them matthew five forty eight, be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect now i i think that statement that standard kind of catches us and we go oh my goodness gracious That's a high standard, but in the midst of that high standard, don't forget the great truth. Jesus calls us to a high standard because of who God is. And you can't forget that truth. Jesus, who, by the way, is God, is saying God is perfect. God is is perfect. He is completely, absolutely, undeniably perfect. Everything about him is perfect. And so this morning, I want to talk to you just a a little bit, very briefly, about his his perfections. I found this quote this week, and and I really liked it. I gave it to you in your sermon notes so you didn't have to try to scribble it down. Uh, Dr. Henry Morris, uh, the Creation Institute, says this. He says, since God is creator of the universe, because he's creator, all that he does is right, and all that he says is truth by definition, because he's the creator, right? It says, the the world he created was perfect. The word he inscripturated is perfect. Every work he accomplishes is perfect. All the ways he follows are perfect. And the will he reveals is perfect. God's perfect. So I want to talk to you about those perfections this morning, and we're just going to walk through this definition a little bit. I'm going to give you Scripture. Now, you you probably just want to jot down the Scripture references. I'll find them for you and read them to you unless you are in Bible drill, in which case you'll have no problem keeping up. Let's begin. Let's talk together for a moment about God's perfect world. God's perfect world. Genesis 1.31. And uh, if you want to turn there, that's fine, but but you may just want to write it down. Genesis 1.31. Uh, it says God saw all that He had made and it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day we'll talk about this in, in, in a little bit but but that word good you know it, it means good beautiful pleasing I can mean perfect uh, God saw all that He made and He says it was perfect this is this is exactly what I intended it's beautiful it's wonderful it's it's perfect Revelation uh, twenty one uh, Revelation twenty one five. Uh, It says, he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making everything new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Friends, God made a perfect world. And while we don't live in that perfect world anymore, the great promise of Scripture is that Jesus is coming back to make it perfect again. God has made, he made a perfect world and he's going to restore that world to perfection. That's the great promise of Scripture. Why? Because that's who he is. God is perfect. God's also provided us with the perfect word. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect. I don't know how you think about your Bible, but I challenge you to think about it as being completely perfect. 2 Timothy three, sixteen and seventeen says All scripture is God breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting and righteousness, so the man of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay? The only problem with that, that's the NIV's version, is the NIV kind of misses the the true grittiness of of verse 17. Because verse 17 is actually a lot deeper than than what we expound there in the NIV. Verse 17, a better reading, would read this. So that the man of God may be perfect. But it doesn't stop there. So the man of God may be perfect. Okay, and we're going to translate kind of right from the Greek. So the man of God may be perfect. Being perfectly fitted for every good work. So, wow, that, that sounds like they repeated themselves. They did. That, that's important. What that means, guys, is that the Bible is not just good. The Bible is not just a good thing to read. It's not just a good place to turn. God says, my word is perfect for you. For for what you need in life, it, th- this thing right here, brother, it's perfect. Your your marriage is having problems. God says, I've got a perfect solution. You're having trouble with your kids. He says, I've got the perfect answer. You're not sure where to turn in life. God says, I've got a perfect place. My word isn't just a good thing for you. My word isn't just beneficial for you. My word doesn't just make you feel good. No, my word is perfect for you. Why? Because God says, I am perfect. I'm perfect. His word is perfect. Let me talk to you a little more about his perfection. Let's talk about his perfect works. Deuteronomy 32, 4 says, he is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. His works are perfect. Well, what are His works? Look around. Look at creation. Again, we just talked about that. It's perfect. God's going to come and make it perfect again. Think about uh, reconciliation, right? You think about the work of Jesus on the cross, and what was that work? It was completely unexpected. It's not what the world was looking for. They were looking for some kind of political king. But God said, you don't need a political king. You need a spiritual king. You you don't need someone to come reign over you physically. You need someone to come bring you to life spiritually. And the cross, friends, was perfect. You look at God's reconciliation, uh, 2 Corinthians five 17, We've been made new and that newness is perfect. We've been reconciled to God through Christ Jesus through the cross. And now we've been made ministers of reconciliation. God has not only made us perfect by, by letting, allowing us to come to know Jesus, but, but we're, we're new life and now he's given us this perfect mission to go and reconcile others to God. It's perfect, God says. Think about sanctification. Right. We're made new in Christ. We're born again, spiritually alive, and then God begins to work in us. He begins to make us more like Jesus every single day. You know what God says about that work that God began in you and he promises he's going to bring about to completion? God says it's a perfect work. I don't know about you, but guys, so often I feel so less than perfect. So often when I read that, 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 that God has begun a masterpiece in me, so many times I look in the mirror and I don't know about you, but I just don't feel like I'm much of a masterpiece. But you know what? When I read God's word, thank goodness he's God. <laughs> thank goodness he wrote it. When I look in God's perfect word, he says, no, my son, you are a masterpiece and I am bringing about to you. I'm going to bring about to completion the work I've begun in you. And I'm going to do that not because you deserve it, But I'm going to make you perfect because I am perfect. Right? His works are perfect. His works are perfect, but not just his works. His ways are perfect, too. Psalm 18, verse 30 says, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. That means that when God does something, he does it just the right way at just the right time for just the right reasons. And though you may not understand it, you can trust it. God's ways are perfect. God's ways are perfect. Lastly, his will is perfect. His will is perfect. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, great Great passage on worship says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get this when that happens, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing and perfect will. His perfect will. Guys, what all this means is that God is the standard of perfection. His word, his works, his ways, his will. He's the standard. So my challenge to you this morning would be let's not lower that standard. Amen. Let's accept it. Let's live up to it. Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's the standard. That's the bar. It's not that we're going to hit it every day, but it's that every day that's going to be the thing that we aim for. Okay, God is perfect. Second thing I want you to see this morning is this truth that God is blessed. God is blessed. Now, what do you mean, pastor, when you say that? That God is blessed. What do you mean? Do you mean he is blessed? Do you mean that he's blessed? What what do you mean by that? Well, I want to explain it to you. And again, your sermon notes are going to help you. Let's fill in some blanks this morning and we'll talk about it. Okay? I want you to see this. God, the first thing we mean when we say God is blessed is is we literally mean that God is free from all evil and that he possesses all good. Okay? God is free from all evil and he possesses all good. All good. James 1.13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God can't be tempted by evil. He is free from all evil. Not only that, he possesses all good. Psalm one. Let me read that to you. You can, you might beat me there if you're in Bible drill. Psalm 24.1. It says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. God possesses all good. The whole earth is his, and everyone that lives in it. Everything that is good, God possesses. God possesses. He's free from all evil and he possesses all good. He owns it. That's what we mean when we say that God is blessed. We also, when we say that God is blessed, we, we mean that He is the He is the source of all blessing. You might call it the fount. If you like that great hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. God is the fount. He is the source of, of all blessing in life. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly light. Why? Because God is the source. We talked about this just a week ago, that, that God is, is the source, or two weeks ago, that God's the source of, of goodness. He's the source and the standard. Same thing here. God is the source and the standard of all blessing as well. And finally, when we say that God is God is blessed, we mean that God is the focus of all blessing. God is the focus of all blessing. And this is going to sound weird to you because you're going to say, well wait a second, I know many people that don't don't give God glory, they don't give God praise. And I wanna I want to tell you why. Because in all of creation, we, along with the fallen angels, are the only things that don't automatically worship God. Okay. Do you think about creation? Creation's crying out, creation's moaning, creation is praising God constantly. You, you you look around and you see how intricate it is. You see the tree which God made, right? To suck up its nutrients from the earth and get its water and things like that and to produce great wonderful fruit and its leaves. And you know that that tree was made and designed so that we could could breathe. Breath is a very important thing if you study Scripture. Uh, we, we're not alive without it, you remember. We were just a sandcastle that God formed, and he breathed life there into Adam. And, and that tree, that tree I, I don't know what you think about it. You probably just think the leaves are, are real pretty. I think that tree is a beautiful image of God. We have breath, friends, because of the tree. takes in our carbon dioxide, and it, it pushes out that oxygen so that you and I can continue to have life right? It does it naturally. It naturally praises God. Jesus said the rocks would cry out if if we didn't. The rocks are doing their job, clearly. You you think about the clouds in the sky and, 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 uh, and you just walk through all of life. Everything in life is doing its job. Everything in life is automatically bringing God glory, right? The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies pour forth speech. Everything does it except for the fallen angels and us. Everything else does it naturally. God, why? Because God's the focus of all blessing. God's the source of it, and, and, and God's the, the focus of it. Think about when you, when you see uh, an angel in the Bible, or you see the seraphim in the Bible, what are they always crying out? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord uh, Almighty. You, you, you think about the phrases that the, the angels say when you see him, right? They're always saying, glory to God. Glory to God, praise be to God time and time again. You know, scripture has this this phrase over 50 times. Blessed be the Lord over 50 times. Blessed be the Lord or blessed be the name of the Lord. Even God's servants like Job that have encountered great loss are able to say because God is so good. They're able to say he gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name. Of the Lord. Why can you say that? You can say that because that's who God is. God is blessed. He's the source of all blessing in life. Number three. Don't you see this morning that God is beautiful? God is beautiful. Go back and read Genesis 1 this week. I want to challenge you. Read the creation story time and time again. God says that he looks down on all that he made and he says... That it was good. It says it, it, was, it, was, it was good. Now that word good in, in, in Hebrew can literally mean good, pleasant, or beautiful. God said let there be light. And that light was beautiful. God God separated the, the, the heavens and the earth. He made the heavens and the earth. And, and when you look at them, man, they are, are are beautiful. He made the sun and the moon and all of the stars. And he said, you know what? Guess what? They're, they're, they're beautiful. He made the plants and, and, and the, all the flowers of the field with their sweet fragrance. And God declared that they were beautiful. And he made the birds of, of the air and the ones that couldn't make it to the air, like the big old ostrich. And God looked at them and he didn't laugh. He said, no, brother... They are beautiful and he made the fish of the sea and all the great whales and everything under under the the water that we haven't even seen or discovered yet and God says it's it's beautiful and he made you and he made me and he looked at us and he declared you know what they are beautiful and then and then he took those two that that man and that woman and he put them together in this thing called holy matrimony and marriage and he says it's good for a man to marry a wife and God declared that union beautiful right and then he said to those two that have been united in God. You go, and I want you to have these things called kids, and they may drive you crazy, but guess what? They are beautiful, right? And and, and he says, they're so beautiful. In fact, you keep having those suckers as long as you can, and you get a whole quiver full because it's beautiful. Why? Because life is beautiful. And why is life beautiful? Because friend, I am beautiful. That's who I am. That's who I am. God is beautiful. And when you study the creation story and you understand that every time that God says it is good, He's saying it is perfect because I'm perfect. He's saying it's beautiful because I'm beautiful. It's glorious because I am glory. It's who I am. You can't forget who God is. All of those things, man. I think perhaps more than any other person To walk the face of the earth. I think perhaps David understood the beauty of God more than any other man. In Psalm 27 verse 4. This is David's prayer to God. I think it should probably be ours as well. He says one thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And why does he want to dwell there? You've got to to read on. This is why he wants to dwell there. He says, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David's prayer was that he could just live in the presence of God. Why? Because he understood that God was beautiful. And he just wanted to spend his whole life gazing upon the beauty of God. You know, some of you own some land. Some of you have, have more than just a little corner lot. Some of you have family or friends that have some land and you go visit them and you sit out on the porch on just the right day and you see the sun setting or the sunrise and it's hard not to gaze out over a big open field or the sun setting and just say, gosh, it's beautiful. Guys, in a much greater much higher, much holier way. David's saying, you know what? That's where I want to sit. I want to sit and I just want to gaze upon the beauty of God. And that's where I want to retire. I I, I want to be in the house of the Lord forever to gaze upon his beauty, and his majesty and his splendor and to do nothing else. That's what I want to do. That should be what we want to do as well. That should be the longing of our heart as well. God is beautiful. And here's the last thing I'm going to share with you this morning. We we're probably going to be done early and drinking some warm coffee and eating some cold donuts. You gotta have balance in life, folks. <clears throat> I want you to see this last point, and it's a big one because it really ties everything we've talked about together over the last five weeks. God is a unity. God is a unity. Now, I want to explain this to you because this is really a big deal. Um, many of you have, have, have talked to me about a, a certain attribute of God that has spoken to you deeply over the last five weeks, okay? And, and so I want, I want to tie this together. Um, here's the point. We, we've looked at 21 attributes of God. This is the 22nd. Um, this last attribute means that all of, God is all of these things and he's all these things all of the time and he's never more of one of these things and less of the other god is always all of these things at all of the time like, like that that's that's who god is he's not just part good He's not part truthful. He's not part loving. God is all truthful, all loving, all good. And, he, and he's all good all the time. I mean, he, he's all of these attributes all of the time. And remember, we just covered a few of the attributes of God. You said we covered 22 of them, man. We're just scratching the surface. We're, we're just barely beginning to know this great God that we worship. And, and God says, listen, I'm all of those things at, at all of the time. And, and it means something, guys. It means that you don't have to worry about God running out of love for you because God is always love, right? It means that you don't ever have to worry about God ceasing to be just because God is just. He's always going to be just. He's always going to do what's right. You don't have to worry about God somehow failing to, to, to keep his promise and do what is good. Why? Because God is truthful and he's always good. Those things are always going to happen all of the time. He's Always going to be all of these things all of the time. And so, I, again, I don't know what spoke to you. Maybe, you know, I had several last week talk about God's jealousy. Wow, I never thought about God's jealousy like that. I never thought about how God's jealousy is a good thing. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about God's redeeming love, right? God's redeeming love is still active. It will always be active. Why? Because God is that. That's who he is. It's going to continue to be that. His grace, his mercy, all those things. So what do we do with um, all of that? This is not application. I'm going to be honest with you. I changed this about, I don't know, an hour and a half ago. So you kind of have everything written. You're good to go. I don't know if you had the little back and forth this morning with the Lord. I was like, Lord, I'm drinking my coffee. Really you want me to have quiet time? Come on, God. Well, I got church. I gotta go over the sermon. I'm like, Okay, Lord, I'm I'm gonna submit and so I'm reading my devotional this morning, man, God just, bam. And I was like, here's the deal. You know, you write stuff occasionally, and you write a sermon, you do it long enough. And so kind of get to application. I'm like, these make sense. This is good. But but you got to have peace. And I didn't have peace over the application. I was going over the application last night. I was like, I'm not going to tell these folks, but I think these are kind of stinker points right here. These are not the greatest points ever. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, reading, I'm reading my devotion this morning. God's like, man, there's only one application for this whole question. Just one. So I'm going to share with you. Here, here's the one application. Since we've been studying for five weeks. We've been seeking to know God. There's only really one thing that we can do now. With the knowledge that we have. Are you ready? Here it is. You've got to reflect it. The only choice we should have. Is to go. To leave this place. And to be a reflection. Of all that we have known. And all that we have heard. And all that we have seen. We need to go reflect. The glory of God. Think about Moses. Moses was up on the mountain with God. and, and, And he saw the glory of God and the presence of God. And you know, when Moses came down from his time with the Lord, he was affected. Do you remember? He was affected. He had been in the presence of God. He had seen the glory of God and his face, the Bible says, Lit up like a glow worm. It doesn't say glow worm in your translation. You may not even remember what a glow worm is. But from my childhood, it was this little odd alien looking baby that when you turned out the light would be like... And then you'd have bad dreams all night. Anyway. I'm sure there's some Israelites that had some bad dreams about Moses. Because when he stepped down off the mountain, the Bible says his face was so radiant that they couldn't even look at his face. Friend, can you even imagine? Can you even imagine? In this dark world that we live in, when we're called to hold out the word of life, like sharp, like stars shining in the universe, can you even imagine if we were actually doing that? Not that we're the light, but that we're reflecting the light. So I, I read this story this morning. It was a great story. Um, uh, and it was talking about a, a guy, a soldier that had been stranded in Guam. And... Uh, and uh, he evaded capture, and he'd been living in Guam for, uh, for three years. And so, uh, on July 10th, 1944, uh, G.R. Tweed uh, saw a U.S. ship out off in the distance. For three years, he has been hiding in the jungle and evading capture. And he sees off the coast a U.S. ship, and he says, this is my one chance for rescue. And so he climbs to the top of a hill and, and he grabs out of his pack a mirror that he still has. And and he begins with this mirror to, to, to get the sun and aim at the ship. And he begins to give little Morris code signals and he begins signaling dot, 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 dash, 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 dot, dot, dot. Dot, 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 dash, dash, just SOS over and over and over again. And, and somebody on the ship saw the reflection. And so they sent a rescue boat and they rescued him. They rescued him. And he didn't have to be at POW for three years, though it was tough. It was tough. He managed to survive in the jungle and he was rescued. now Here's the deal. And this is what Max Acedo challenged uh, his readers to think about in this little Story. He said, Can you imagine if at that moment that mirror that he had grabbed out decided instead of sending SOS to send LAM, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. He said unfortunately, we who are God's mirrors all too often. Are saying just that. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. What we need to be doing instead. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. We're just called to be a reflection. Of all that God is. And so here's my challenge to you. God's been speaking to you for the last five weeks about who he is. Go and be those things to others. Right? We talked about the redeeming love of God talked about how the fact that God's love doesn't wait for you to love him. God's love steps. He, he doesn't wait for you to get clean, but he steps into the middle of your sin. Well, while, while we were still sinners. Christ died for us, right? This is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent an atoning sacrifice. God's love is redeeming. We talked about Hosea and, and Gomer, and we talked about the redeeming love of God. And so here's the challenge, man. It's the holidays. Can you go redeem that person in your family that drives you nuts? Right. Are you going to love them conditionally? Are you going to step into their broken mess this this holiday season and, and, and love them with the love of Jesus? Not condoning their sinful actions, but but choosing to say, I love you. I will always love you and I'm available to you. Now, they may spit upon you. They may slam a door in your face, but you've done what you were called to do. You have this great opportunity. And friends, it's not just for the holiday season. We have a great opportunity every single day. When we're at the grocery store, when we're driving the car, you know, we got the little Christian fish on the back, cutting people off, not letting them over in track. Take that, I'm a Christian. Oh, wait a second. We have an opportunity every single day To let others see the glory of God in us. And so the one challenge I leave you with. Spent five weeks talking about who God is. Go and share it. Go and reflect it. Go and let others see it. And if you do, glory to God. Glory to God forever. You guys pray with me.